If you have your Bibles with you this morning, please turn to Philippians chapter 1, and I'll re be reading verses 21 to 24. Philippians chapter 1. Let us give careful attention to the reading and the hearing of God's holy and inspired word. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. May God bless the reading and the hearing of his holy and inspired word. Let us pray. Lord, we come, perhaps thinking a little bit like Job, wanting to put his mouth his hands over his mouth just so that he would not speak but to hear you and Lord that's a temptation for us today but we pray that you may speak through your word and that you might use this old sinner saved by grace to bring the word of God to the people of God would you hear that prayer Lord in Jesus name Amen. We're going to talk about two things today in particular, and I'll mention the first one first. We're going to talk about life. We're going to talk about the life that Jesus says is really the only life that really matters ultimately. We know that life is very important because God created us. In Genesis, he created us. Before the foundations of the world, he created us. He spoke us into existence. And he said that we're made in his image after holiness, righteousness, with knowledge, to exercise dominion over creation. So he's given us one thing in particular. He's given us this desire to worship him. You see that early on in Genesis, uh, Cain and Abel offering a sacrifice to worship the living God. He's also created man, male and female, and he's instituted marriage. He said, for this cause, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one. He also says, be fruitful and multiply. And then he also gives us another thing that we're called to do, Adam and Eve, were to tend the garden. And therefore, there are at least three things here. There are three creation ordinances that are spoken early in the chapters of Genesis. To worship the living God, to, to enjoy marriage between a man and a woman. And that's the only marriage that is a true biblical marriage. Please hear me. It is a man and a woman joined together 
It is not two men or two women. It is a man and a woman. To love each other, to cherish each other, to show forth the kind of relationship that Christ has with his church. And the last and the third thing, a creation mandate, is to work, to tend the garden. You're not in the garden right now, but you're in the garden that God has placed you. And therefore, work is a good thing. We're to worship God. We're to be in a holy matrimony between one man and one woman, and we are to work. Work is not a bad thing. God ordained it. Don't try to get out of it. It's what he has called us to. So he's given us life, and life is enjoyable. We have family, we have work. Uh, sometimes we have recreation, we have worship. We're here today to worship the living God. But there's something else I want to talk about today as well, and that's death. Please don't close your eyes or shut down on me at all, because that is spoken of as well in the garden. What happens to Adam and Eve when they sin? They are removed from the garden. They're going to experience returning to the dust. They're going to die. And even their sons, Cain and Abel, what does Cain do? He kills his brother. Murder comes early on in chapter 4 of Genesis. So there's life and there's death. And we're all going to die unless the Lord Jesus Christ comes before some of us are still alive. We're going to experience death. But dear folks, life is so important as well, and you need to hear this. You need to hear what Paul says under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Paul knew something about suffering. Uh, in, in Acts chapter 9, Saul is going to Damascus to persecute those who are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is met by none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. His life has changed. His heart has changed. His mind has changed. Everything has changed for the apostle who now becomes an apostle. And what does Jesus say to Paul? Paul, you're going to bear testimony to me before kings and before governors, before Gentiles and before Jews. And oh, by the way, Paul, you're going to suffer for me. The first couple of things sounded pretty good until that last thing that Jesus spoke to him there. Paul, you're going to suffer for me and for the cause of the kingdom of God. Paul knows a lot about suffering. In fact, later on, he is called to go to Philippi. He wanted to go east, according to the scriptures and Acts, but the Holy Spirit stopped him from going a certain location and gave him another location to go through to, through a dream or a vision as a Macedonian man was asking Paul to come and help them in Macedonia. The Holy Spirit directs our affairs. He directs our feet, where we go, what we do if we're children of God. And so Paul goes to Philippi, and he arrives there, and who does he meet? He meets Lydia, a seller of purple. What does he do? He talks about the things of God to her. She confesses her faith in Jesus Christ. She and her household are baptized. A little bit later, 
Paul rebukes a young lady who's a fortune teller in the, in the streets of Philippi are upset about Paul because, and Silas because they're changing the game plan for those people. And Paul is, and Silas are beaten and they're thrown in the prison. What happens that night? I don't know about you, but if I were thrown in the prison, I would probably be grieving over my, my suffering. I'd probably be moaning about why am I in, in here? Because I'm, I'm trying to serve the living God. But Paul and Silas are not doing that. They're singing psalms and they're praying. What does God do? Sends a an earthquake, as it were, and they're released from prison. The prison guard believes he's going to lose his life because the prisoners might be gone, starts to kill himself. What does Paul do? He stops him. And rather than dying at that moment, not long afterward, he is living in the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is used by God to convert him. And that day, that night, the Philippian jailer and his family believe and they're baptized. But Paul and Silas were beaten very, uh, very hardly, very difficult, being very hard. But I want to, I think I read this a couple of weeks ago, but just to get the, the flavor of this, I think is really important. Second, Second Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Also chapter 6 is a good reference too in terms of the suffering that the Apostle Paul went through. But this is what happened to Paul. He says, I am talking like a madman with far greater labors far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys and danger from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, Danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, or as cold and open to exposure. And apart from other things, there's that daily pressure on me for my anxiety for the churches. Who is weak? I am not weak. Who is made to fall? I am not indignant. You see the things that the Apostle Paul went through, and at the end of all those things, can you imagine? Can you imagine what he went through, his body, his back, from all the lashes, the stonings there in Lystra, the shipwrecks, snake bitten, all the things, deprived of so many things, and what is he concerned about? He's concerned about the church of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you have that same concern for the body of Christ most of us are not going to be beaten. Forty lashes minus one, three times. Paul knew what suffering was. I think I said the last time I quoted from that is I, I would want to recalibrate my ministry. Something's wrong. It's not, it's not the 21st century, you know. We're supposed to have it a little bit easier as people of God, as pastors, as churchmen. 
Paul wasn't looking for an easy life. He knew it wasn't going to be easy. But Paul gave us three indications of what true life is all about. And I trust that you will hear them. But before that, I want to mention something about the different, a few different philosophies of life. Because we may be uh, involved in some of those philosophies of life. The first one is, there is a, a group of people who probably have no philosophy of life. They just take up time and space. They eat and they drink. They go through life and eventually life ends for them. There's no real purpose in life for them. And then you have the Epicureans. Apostle Paul speaks about them as well. What are Epicureans? They eat and drink and, and, and enjoy life to its fullest. Eat and drink and make merry. They seek every kind of pleasure there is out there. They're always looking for some place to have a good time, to have all their, their, their senses uh, involved in, in their life and enjoy every one of them. Food, touching, hearing, uh, all of those things that make up the senses of an individual. So the Epicureans wanted to live, eat, drink, and be merry for today you die. Enjoy life. That's what life is all about. There's a Stoic who says, well, this is a terrible world. I just hate this world. People hate each other. They hurt each other. They take drugs. They're immoral. There are all sorts of things, and, and you see all those things, but the Stoic says, I've just got to muddle through this world. I don't like what I see. I don't like what I see going on around me. I'm discouraged, but I just want to get through this life and end it. I don't want to take my own life, but I want it to be finished. Then there's the humanist who says, I just want to make life a lot better for everybody, as many people as I possibly can. If they need shelter, I'd like to provide shelter. If they need some money, money. If they need their utilities paid for, and help them pay for the utilities, try to train them, try to make life a little bit better for people. And then there's uh, the one that, uh, it's kind of the average person's view of life, perhaps in the West more than any other place. I'm not exactly sure. Maybe it's true around the world. But life is, life is family. Life is work. Life is friendship. You know, life, life is recreation. You know, life is, life is good. And in the West, most of the time, recently, we've experienced that sort of life. But dear folks, when we lose a loved one, that's a terrible, terrible thing to go through. When we lose a, lot, a job that we loved and we were making a good living from that job, but we no longer have that job. Maybe a robot is doing the job that we once did. And now we don't have any work. We don't have the money. We can't go and do the things that we were accustomed to doing. When we lose something that is important to us, whether it's our own health or lose a loved one or a dear friend, all of a sudden, our life collapses around us. You see that all the time. But Paul comes, 
and he gives us a philosophy of life. And there are three things, three things that Paul talks about in these verses. And if you hear nothing else today, listen to these three things. Paul says life is Christ. Life is Christ. Paul, I mean, his Damascus Road experience was, was really something. In fact, uh, from a hater of Jesus Christ, just in the twinkling of an eye or the snapping of one's finger, his life is changed, and it is changed forever. And what does Jesus do for him? Paul understands that now he has the inspiration, he has a purpose in life, his existence really does mean something, and, 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 and he's just inspired to know and to love and to serve Jesus Christ. What does he say in Philippians chapter 3? I want to know Christ. I want to know the power of the resurrection. I want to know the fellowship of his sufferings. I want to even die as a result of sufferings for Christ. It doesn't make any difference to me because once I die, I'm going to be in the presence of the living God. Paul's sold out for Christ. What did he also want? He said he wanted the mind of Christ. Let this mind be in you, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul wanted the mind of Christ, and he writes in Corinthians, you, Christian, have the mind of Christ. I don't know if you understand that, but you, as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, have the mind of Christ, and you have a heart that pants after the living God, if you're Christian. Paul also said he wanted the joy of Christ. And when he writes to, writes to the Philippians, what's the, one of the main things he talks about? Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, let your request be made known to God. And the peace, the shalom of God will, will, will bless you and rest your heart and your mind and have your mind stayed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says that he wants to live to the glory of Christ. Paul says in Galatians chapter 2 that he is filled with Christ. I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul was sold out for Christ. His life meant Christ, and that was it. Doing God's will. He wasn't looking for a place on the beaches of the Mediterranean Sea. He was probably looking to get beaten up, arrested, and ultimately martyred for the faith. Some say, well, that was just Apostle Paul. I'm not the Apostle Paul, and I understand that. The apostles are no longer in existence. But what are we? We have the same Lord and Savior that Paul had. The same one. The same Holy Spirit that came to indwell in Paul is the same Holy Spirit that comes in us. We make all excuses, perhaps. 
well, we're not Paul, we're not Peter, we're not any of those guys. We're not the reformers, we're not the Puritans from Scotland or England. We're not those, we're just ordinary people. But you're not ordinary because you've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, called from before the foundations of the world, redeemed by the blood of Christ, filled by the Spirit of God. You're not the same. You're different. Life is Christ. It's not how much money you have. It's not your position in life. It's not my position. It is Christ and Christ alone. So Paul says, life is Christ. Life is also worthwhile work. I know that word, four-letter word, is not appreciated very much in Western culture, maybe in the whole world. I don't know. It's kind of interesting. In the Ten Commandments, it speaks about six days shall you labor. I'm not saying you have to punch the time clock. But you need to do something constructive. We need to do something constructive. We're not looking for a four-day work week. We're not looking for a three-day work week so that we can do nothing. The child of God is called to do something, to be involved, to make a difference in this world. It's worthwhile work. So Paul is there in prison in Rome when he writes that. Epaphroditus has been sent from the church in Philippi to minister to him. But he's there and he has time to think about it. He doesn't think that his life is going to end during this imprisonment. He knows it's going to end, he knows it's going to end one day. But, but he's thinking about life and death. And I'm sure the Holy Spirit is bringing that teaching to us through the Word of God, through the Apostle Paul. So he's looking at it. What can he do? He doesn't think he's going to die in this imprisonment. He thinks he's going to get out, and he does. What does he do? He says, I, I can still preach the gospel. I can still tell people about Christ, and in God's providence, they may be drawn to Jesus Christ because I have spoken the good news to them. I, I'm going to disciple them. I'm going to help them mature in the faith. That's a lot of hard work when you're discipling someone. A ruling elder in the church in Charlotte spent two whole years, once a week, with me, discipling me, teaching me how to read the scriptures, to understand the scriptures, to interpret the scriptures, to pray, to share the gospel, all of those things. It took a lot of work. We, we find, perhaps in God's providence, somebody comes to saving faith, and then there's no follow-up. There's no instruction. There's no discipleship. Is there work to do? Yes, there's work to do. Paul says, I can do that too. And I might be able to plant even more churches. Those three things is what Paul was concentrating on. I'm going to preach the gospel. I'm going to help people mature in the faith. And I'm going to be used of God to plant more churches. Work is worthwhile. You may not be a preacher or a teacher or something like that, uh, but in the church, you have gifts, you have abilities, uh, you have many uh, leaders, uh, generosity, service, uh, servants, and such like that. I mean, there's all sorts of work to do in the church. 
and you also represent the King of Kings and Lord of Lords when you go out into the marketplace. By your work. Don't be lazy. Work hard. And people may ask, why do you work so hard? I work because God has called me to do something with my life. Not try to avoid something that he has ordained. So, work. Life is Christ. Life is worthwhile work. Life is also, and Paul knows this for certain, when you give yourselves to the work of the Lord, your labor is not in vain. It may seem like, wow, opening up the church or being a greeter at the door or getting all this stuff together, which I'm not familiar with and never want to be because I would destroy it. But all of these things, it seems almost minimal, but everything that is done for the, that is done for the church is done for the glory of God. And then he says, the third thing, life is for the benefit of others. I don't know if this is new to you. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's for the benefit of others. Paul, Paul sees that if God spares him, that he could perhaps go back to Philippi and help them. It's a church that has only been in existence for a decade, mostly Gentile converts. And there were problems in the church. Epaphroditus no doubt mentioned some of those problems when he went to visit Paul in prison. And that's why Paul is writing and Epaphroditus is going to bring his writing back to the church in Philippi. And it's not just for the church in Philippi. It's for us as well. It's for all the people of God throughout the ages until the Lord Jesus Christ comes again. But Paul says that he thinks he can make a difference in Philippi, no doubt in other churches as well. But if he lives, he would come back. He would work with them. He would disciple them. He would guard them because there are false prophets and different things that are going on. There's problems within the church. Two women are battling it out over whatever. And Paul tells them to stop it. Stop it. This is a place where we come to worship the living God. We don't come to argue. We don't come to beat someone down with our words or things like that. And I said, Paul saying, stop it. False teachers, there's internal strife. And Paul says, I think I can make a difference. I'm willing to go back. I'm willing to help the church wherever I may go. He's willing to live for the benefit of others, for the need of the church. Those things weigh heavier on him than going on and being with the Lord. He knows he's going to the Lord one day. He knows it. The church still needs him. He can be useful. So, Paul says, and the scriptures say, more importantly, the Holy Spirit. Life is Christ. If you think life is all about yourself, you're wrong. 
If you're a Christian, it is about Christ. It is about, it is about doing godly work, whether it's certainly in the church or out in your workplace. And thirdly, it's to be doing something for others. It is not just about us. I have a brief thing to say about death. I'm not familiar with two names I'm going to give you, but Greek, back in the early days, there was a gentleman by the name of Antigon who wrote this, or said this, in terms of the philosophy of death. Whoever lives in as many, with as many ills as I, how does one not gain by dying? I've got all these problems. It would be better off if I just died. Got it over with. And there's another one. Sophocles. Fifth century, I think. In love, upon being told by Prometheus of suffering still to come, called out, cried out, what gain have I, I, have I in this life? Why did I not hurl myself from the rock, rugged rocks on, on the ocean? Better to die once for all than to linger all my days in misery. Then from a modern setting, most people would say they, they, they really do fear and hate the thought of death. Some say they just resign themselves. They're going to die. Everybody's going to die. What hope is there? And then those who are very defiant say, I'm going to fight it. I'm not going to let it. I'm not going to die. As if they can ordain the times in which they're going to pass from this world to the next world. Silly. I don't know if I'm going to live another five seconds up here. But if I don't, you may come to my funeral, but I'm going home to Jesus. But let me say this. Paul's understanding, the biblical understanding of death is different from the world's. The pagan views death as a release from their troubles. The Christian, the Christian views death as a change in location from this world to the world of glory in the presence of Christ, their soul and ultimately their re reconstituted body when the Lord Jesus Christ comes again. You see the difference? There's no hope for the unbeliever. I don't know if you're an unbeliever here today. You have no eternal hope. Your only destination right now, left to your own devices and your own mind, is hell, separated from the living God for all eternity. But if you were to die today as a Christian, you will enter the presence of the living God this very day. What did Jesus say to the thief on the cross? Today you will be with me in paradise.
I uh, had two quotes, but I'm going to end with one quote because we still have the supper to go. It's one of my favorites. I wouldn't mind putting it on my tombstone, but I think it's too long for that. But this was very moving to me. My uh, pastor James Poyas, who uh, fought along with Stonewall Jackson, this is what he said. Evidently, he was wounded and near death. Maybe he had someone transcribe it, his words, but this is what. The pale horse stands and will not bide. The night has come and I must ride but not alone to unknown lands. My friends go with me holding hands. I fought the good fight. I've run the race. I now shall see him face to face who called me to him long ago and bade me trust and follow. The joys of life had been his gift. My friends, I'll find when the clouds shall lift. I leave my home in awe its store to dwell with him forevermore. What does he give? A cup of love until with him I rest above. I'll mountain ride no more to roam. The pale horse bears me to my home. Life is Christ. Life is Christ. Life is worthwhile work. Life is to be used to benefit others. Three points. That's not just Paul's philosophy of life. That is God's philosophy of life given to the Apostle Paul to write down for the church, the people of God, throughout the ages. Let us pray. Lord God, we have certainly dealt with things that all of us are going to face. We're facing life now. And in many cases, it is so, so pleasant the love that we have for you as followers of Christ, the love that we have for our family, the relations between a husband and a wife, the children, the offspring, seeing them grow and nurture in the faith and walking in the ways of our Savior. To be a part of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, to know that he has given us his spirit to dwell with us and the promise of God to never leave us nor forsake us, but to use all the gifts and abilities, all the strength, all the knowledge, all the wisdom that God has imparted to us and he's given so much wisdom and knowledge around to the people of God. Oh, Lord God, would you allow us in this place today to not leave thinking Life is just going back to normal. Normal is not good. Exceptional service.
to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords is what we ought to be striving for. O Lord, hear us. In Jesus' name, amen.